Amen. Thank you so much, Joel and David, for leading us um, in that song. And good morning, everybody. Uh, it's so good, again, to be together, whether you're here in the room or you are uh, attending virtually online. Uh, we're grateful for yet again another day that we can gather uh, to encounter God, God's presence together in community. And as we continue in this journey, um, again, of, of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, I'm just reminded, I've been reflecting on uh, leading up to this morning, um, just some of the first words that Jesus said uh, about the kingdom. Uh, actually, we've been journeying through Matthew chapter 5 and, the, and uh, particularly the Beatitudes, which we're going to continue this morning. But he said in Mark 1.15 that he said that the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this idea of time is, is not chronos or chronological time of a linear time frame, but he uses this word kairos, which simply conveys this idea that it's an appointed time or season where God has allowed something of lasting significance to occur. And I don't know about you, um, but as we look around the landscape of our uh, society, of our culture, of our country, and even on our campus, we, I believe, are, we're living in a Kairos season, in a Kairos moment. That rather than uh, further reflecting or even propagating the, the divide um, that we see all around us, that we as agents of God's kingdom, as ambassadors of reconciliation, can actually step into it and lean into the mess, lean into the hurt, lean into the pain, lean into all the different voices and to be able to uh, communicate prophetically um, the hope and the healing that the gospel provides. And so underneath God's kingdom, um, there's diversity, there's equity, there's inclusion, all for the purpose of further transformation towards the likeness of our Savior. And so um, whether, whatever you're processing, whatever you're carrying with you this morning, uh, whether or not you've been paying attention to what's going on around our nation or even um, the, the demonstrations um, and in some of the student-led marches that might even be happening today on campus. Um, not time to get into the details of that now, but we, um, my encouragement to you is that whatever happens beyond today, that you're here today to further be equipped to be able to leave the doors today more like Jesus than when you came in. And rather than judging at a distance, to lean in, to get proximate, to get close, to listen, to love to hurt, to be a part of God's healing that he wants to work uh, in, in, our, in, in our campus, in our community, in our country and world. And so this morning, I'm really excited and grateful to have back in chapel, Pastor Drew Shep, who um, I always like to say that, you know, everyone who's, who came before you, you kind of stand on the leaders of the generation that came before you or the person who held the position. And thanks to Drew, I get to stand a lot, quite a bit taller since he's um, about a whole head taller than myself. Um, but beyond that, Drew spent about eight years here on staff uh, at Northwestern in various capacities uh, within student life. But most recently, he oversaw chapel and really serving kind of as a campus pastor and um, has such a heart for this campus, for you as students, and for the Lord. And in his current role now, serving as a, the campus pastor of the downtown location uh, of Substance Church, he also uh, is involved in the teaching team and oversees the, and directs the, the internship program. And Drew's going to be continuing us in our, uh, our, our pattern of, uh, of going after the kingdom of God together um, and launching from uh, the last beatitude um, that we see in the list that we've been journeying through together. And so uh, would you join me um, in giving Pastor Drew a warm Northwestern welcome? Oh, come on, a little more. Come on, a little more. There you go. Show our appreciation. And would you extend a hand over Drew as we pray for him together? Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for this moment. And I pray that you would help us right now in the name of Jesus to fully lean in and to be present, that you would open wide our hearts, enlarge our capacities to receive now from you. That through your servant and our brother Drew, 
that you would fill him and, our, and us afresh with the Holy Spirit. God, that we don't want to just, we're not just going through motions, we're not just gathering through, um, going through a set of religious duties, Lord. We, we are here because we need you. We, we want to encounter your presence together, and I pray, uh, Lord, for Drew, that you um, would guide his, uh, his, his words, uh, Lord, that as he speaks from your word and from his life and your, your truth and grace pressed through his personality to us and to our hearts, that our hearts would be good soil to receive. Father, that kingdom fruit uh, would be reaped here in our midst for your glory. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. And uh, we continue to worship you together as we open your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, Justin. You guys doing all right this morning? Feeling good? Monday morning? Awesome. You guys look great. Uh, I'm so honored always to be here. As Justin mentioned, I did spend several years here kind of in this role, uh, helping to oversee and direct chapel. I sat right in that seat down there for literally a few hundred chapels during my time here. So I, there's a really uh, special place in my heart and mind for Northwestern, for you as students. And I just have to say it's so good to see you all here today. Uh, it's been a weird year. Let's be honest, the last 10 months have been the longest 10 years of my entire life. Um, just it's been a really difficult year in so many ways. And I just love the fact that you're in this series. Before I jump into that, though, I just want to honor Justin. Um, if you don't know this guy, I want to encourage you to get to know him. Uh, there's very few people who know what it's like to, to sit in the seat of directing the programming of chapel. It's just a lot of chapel to, to, to organize and to plan. And uh, it's just a very uh, stressful a strainful kind of position to sit in. And Justin, you're a man of integrity, you're a man of humility, you're a man of faith. Um, I've, I've so loved getting to know you and your beautiful family. So thank you for serving this campus and these students the way that you do. I just want to honor you as a man of God, a man of integrity, a man of humility, um, especially leading chapel in a season like you have in these past uh, months. Thank you for doing what you do. I, I love you and it's an honor to serve you in this capacity. So thank you for doing what you do. Love you, brother. Um, I also want to encourage you just to get to know Justin, um, an amazing guy. I've, we meet for coffee every couple months and just process life together. So uh, I just want to honor you as a man of God and for your staff and your team here. But uh, I love that you guys are in this Beatitude series. Man, uh, the Beatitudes will mess you up if you are willing to let them. As you read through this list, it's kind of Jesus is saying, here's who I want you to be. I'm not even talking about here's what I want you to do or here's what I want you to know. Basically, this is kind of Jesus saying, Here's who Christians are supposed to be. Here's the way that followers of Christ are supposed to show up in the world and behave and act before you ever do anything, before you ever say anything. Here's the kind of person that I want you to become. Right? And before we even jump into the Beatitudes, I want to direct your attention actually to what Jesus says immediately after these statements he makes. Because here's the deal, right? Jesus didn't have headings in his message. Right? This was whole, always meant to be one long message that Jesus wanted to communicate to us. We came along later and put in these kind of these verses and these page breaks and these headings. Look where Jesus goes immediately after giving these amazing beatitudes, these amazing blessings. He says this, he says, look, you are the salt of the earth. I love it. You, as followers of me, Jesus, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He continues and says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Right? So it's just not an accident that after these lists of ways that Jesus wants his followers to kind of show up relationally in the world, he then says, listen, y'all are salt. 
And y'all are light, which means y'all should taste and look different than the world around you, right? Essentially what Jesus is saying here is like, here's how followers of me are supposed to show up in the world around you. It's supposed to look different. It's different. But I'm not so sure that we as kind of modern day Christians haven't just kind of taken some of the patterns and some of the formulas and some of the strategies of the world and just put a Christian spin on those, right? A Christian spin on politics, a Christian spin on the ways that the world thinks instead of, hey, there's actually a completely different way that we're called to show up in the world, right? Instead of telling the world what we know or how they should behave or why they are wrong, Jesus says, no, 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 show up in this way. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of my particular favorites is this, blessed are those who mourn. And as the Bible always does, it always takes it a step further. I think for many of us, we're mourning personal things. Um, Our church has experienced two incredible losses. A a 23-year-old young woman named Maddie went to be with the Lord suddenly without without any warning a few months ago. In the same way, an actually alum of Northwestern, David Morin, died suddenly just a few weeks ago, right? Doesn't make sense. We're all mourning, right? Personally, I'm mourning those losses. So there's a personal mourning that we do, but the Bible then in Romans 12 says we also mourn with those who mourn. So it's not just our personal mourning. The Bible makes it clear that we show up relationally and we mourn with those who mourn. And I know it's a weird year. It's an exceedingly weird week. And it's probably a really weird day even today on campus. Right? I'm not going to get into it too far, but I do want to encourage you as salt and light here at the Northwestern campus, right? As, as Northwestern students who are striving to follow God and to become who Jesus has called us to be, let me encourage you, mourn with those who mourn. Show up and listen and show up and learn. Show up relationally and mourn with those who have a different life experience than you. Show up and listen. Doesn't that have to change what you believe? Doesn't have to change your intellect or your theology, but it can change how you show up in relationship with people who are different than you. I fully believe that with every inch of me. Proximity and relationship is always going to create passion, and distance is always going to create distortion. We were never meant to throw grenades or lob missiles over a fence at our brothers and sisters. We were always meant to show up in relationship and listen and grieve and mourn Not to say what we know, but to show up and mourn with those who mourn. So let me encourage you today, Christians who show up in this world need to do a great job of not talking, but listening and mourning and grieving and lamenting and learning, right? And then, and maybe only then, can we have a conversation. We have to earn the right to influence people who are different than us. We have to earn the right. That's what I'm going to say about that. But are we willing to put flesh and skin on our theology and journey in relationship with people and learn and mourn and grieve and lament? Okay, so the Beatitudes, they're going to mess you up, man. If you're willing, right, not just to have them be intellectual head knowledge, but to let the Spirit of God take these amazing blessings that Jesus has given you and internalize them in heart and soul. We worship as worshipers in spirit and in truth. So Jesus wants us to take these, kind of these blessings and internalize them and say, how can I become this, 
right? It's not about what I know. It's not about how I behave. It's about who I am and how I show up relationally in the world. It's about how what I know affects what I do and how I show up. I know a lot of people who know this book inside and out. Some of them are amazing Christians. Some of them atheists, right? It's not about what you know. It's about is the spirit of God alive on the inside of you? The spirit of God that heals and restores and redeems and builds unity amidst diversity. Not agreement, but diversity. Not conformity, but unity and alignment. Does that make sense? So let's be a people who show up and listen and grieve and mourn. But today I want to jump into kind of this last beatitude. I think you guys have been through um, almost all of them right now, Justin, up until this last one. Here's what I want to say. This last one, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? And I want to say right from the tip top, this is not a political message. I did not plan this based on election results, just so you know. Right? I planned this weeks ago. I talked with Justin last week before the election ever even happened. Okay? This is not a politically motivated message. This is, I believe, a word that we as the body of Christ need, regardless of who is sitting in the president's seat, who is sitting in the vice president's seat, who is sitting in the governor's seat, who is sitting in the mayor's seat. No matter who's sitting there, the body of Christ, we have to understand what does it mean to be blessed when we're persecuted, right? And I just tend to believe that we as American Christians have literally no idea what we're talking about when it comes to persecution. We really don't. That's for, that's for a different message, though. But I, I really do actually believe, though, that there are going to be times in our lives as we navigate the world around us where things don't go well for us. Maybe it's not persecution. Maybe it's just, man, this is hard. And just so you know, it's supposed to be that way. Like, life is hard. Literally, God says in his word, 1 Peter chapter 4, don't be surprised when difficult things happen. There's a lot of responses Christians can have to hard things, but listen, surprise, not one of them. Okay, James chapter 1, in fact, count it all joy when these things happen to you. How can we do that? I want to I share with you a story today, one of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible, found in Acts chapter 16. Uh, it's Paul and Silas in Philippi. I love this story. One of my absolute, there's so much here that happens with Paul and Silas in Philippi. It's just amazing. But the backstory is this. Paul is like that OG church planner, man. This dude is awesome. He's planting churches. He's seen people healed, restored, delivered. He is doing everything that a good Christian should do. He's checking off the list. He's doing, it all. He's doing all amazing things. People, again, literally watching people get saved and baptized planting churches. This dude is doing work. It's awesome. And then in chapter 16, we see the Spirit of God appear to Paul in a vision. It says, hey, I want you to go to Macedonia and go now. Paul's like, I'm gone. Let's go. I'm with you. Following you, Jesus, wherever it goes, I'm going to follow you. Pick it up right in verse 11, right? We see the conversion of somebody named Lydia. So people are getting saved. Pick it up in verse 16. It says, they were going to a place of prayer they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So some sort of demonic oppression, uh, uh, possession happening here where this, this beautiful little girl is essentially being used as, in human trafficking as a way to earn her owner's money, right? This time it's being used in a spirit of divination, fortune-telling, telling the future, okay? 
So I love this. She followed Paul around, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Listen, even the demons know who this guy is. That's amazing, right? Literally demonically oppressed little girl. Hey, these guys, they'll tell you how to be saved. That's kind of cool, right? For Paul, not so much. Look, I love this. Paul's response, this kept going on for many days. And so Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it just did. That's incredible. That's amazing. But then verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and drugged them into the marketplace before all the rulers And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in in attacking them. And then it goes from bad to worse, right? It says, the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Listen, that's a bad day. Straight up, that's a really bad day. Think about that. Paul is following this vision from God. He's doing all the right stuff, seeing all the right things happen, deliverance and restoration and baptisms. It's amazing. And then because he was doing all the right things, things went really bad. What this tells me is that sometimes You can do all the right things and everything will still go bad for you. Sometimes you can cross off every item on the Christian bucket list. You can plant every church, pray for every person on your airplane that you're on, right? Save every person, see baptisms happen. It's amazing and things can still go terribly, awfully wrong for you. Now, if I'm honest, right, I'm not as spiritual as Paul. So if I'm Paul in that moment, I'm kind of like, really God? Like, really, you were the one that called me here, right? I I followed you. I'm not following myself, right? You called me here, and I'm doing your work, and I got annoyed with this little girl, and so I delivered this demon, and now I'm in jail. Think about that. Like, really, God? Really? I'd be pretty frustrated, I'll be honest. And then, not to mention, I get beaten within an inch of my life, stripped naked, and put into stocks in the innermost prison. That is a really, really bad day. No thanks. No thanks. Right? So think about that. If I put myself in that position, and many of us probably would be the same way, if I'm in that position, I'm probably getting out my phone and sending a tweet out pretty quick. Something to the effect of, I cannot believe this city government. Can you believe how unjust this is? Can you believe the nerve of these city leaders that would dare to throw me in prison for exercising my freedom? Can you believe it? I'll be honest, anybody else be there? That's what I would do. I'd be in that prison grumbling and venting and complaining to anyone and everyone. This is not fair. At Substance, we call it whimper session. Whimpering plus intercession, whimper session. That's what we call it, right? God, why? Me, this is not fair. I thought you brought me here. Why is it so hard? Listen, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. So I'd be grumbling, not sure about you, but look what it says. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? That does not sound like what I would want to be doing. Listen, imagine being Silas, okay? Imagine being Silas in that moment. You're literally naked, 
open wounds and sores all over your body from the beating you just took, feet locked in stocks in the innermost prison, not sure if you're actually ever going to make it out to see your friends and family again. And if you're Silas, you look at Paul, and Paul's like, hey, man, you want to sing? Be like, no, Paul, I don't want to sing right now, right? I want to complain. I want to vent. I want to put people on blast because this is not fair. It's not fair. But Paul's like, hey, man, you want to sing? So they start belting out some, well, I don't know, Maverick City music right there in the innermost prison, right? They're singing, their, they're singing their guts out. They're praying like crazy. And probably the most important sentence in this entire story is next. And it's short, and you might miss it, but the most important sentence in this entire section is this. Look what it says. The other prisoners were listening to them. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. In their most down heart, their broken down time of their life in an innermost prison, open sores all over their body, beaten, naked, humiliated, the other prisoners were listening to them. Can I tell you, there are people listening to you right now that you have no idea who are there. People on your Facebook feed, people in your family, Some of you are dreading going home for Thanksgiving break because you know the conversation that you're going to face around the dinner table. You know. You know exactly what's going to come up. You know exactly what Uncle Bob's going to say and Aunt Jan's going to say something else. You know exactly what you're getting yourself into. You know exactly what you're getting yourself into today, later on today on the green with what's going to happen on this campus. You know, but I promise you, there are people in your life listening to you, watching you, observing you, How are they going to respond? Is this thing that they claim to believe actually real? Or when things get hard, do they do what everybody else does, which is blame and complain and grumble and post messages on Facebook and write blogs and give information and quote statistics and get frustrated? Or are we quick to run and say, God, I trust you. I want to praise you. Whatever your flavor of worship is, do you run to that? Do you you never stop singing in the middle of a difficult season? Even when things are unfair. Even when things happen to you that you didn't cause for yourself. Even when everything around you is chaos, are you willing to keep singing? Are you willing to keep praying, to keep connecting with God and have the world around you actually see, no, this is real. In fact, this relationship I have right here is the only real thing that I can rely on. So I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about what people do to me. I'm not going to get too bent out of shape over injustices that happen to me or around me, right? Now, that being said, you better believe I'm going to lean in and listen to those who have injustice in their life. You better believe I'm going to, again, mourn with those who mourn, right, and grieve with those who grieve. But for myself, me as a man of God, I'm going to lean into the presence of God. I'm going to lean into worshiping God. Because here's the, here's the truth. If you've heard nothing else today, hear this. There is always more going on behind the scenes than you could ever imagine. God's agenda is always bigger and better and more eternal than ours is. That's why it says it's so clear. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are They're not my thoughts. They're higher. They're loftier. They're more eternal. There's always a different end game that God is playing. Check it out. Look what it says, right? The other prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, 
so big that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Now, I've never been in an earthquake before. It seems completely terrifying. To have the earth literally move beneath your feet, no thank you. I will stay in Minnesota. California seems really nice for vacation. I don't want any part of the earth moving beneath my feet. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? That seems awful. seems terrible, okay? But huge earthquake. Um, Foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, again, I've never been in an earthquake. I've never known a giant earthquake can make doors just, like, swing open. I've never known an earthquake to make just, like, bonds just kind of fall off, right? Now, it was an earthquake, but you better believe this is supernatural intervention by God. It's not just a normal earthquake, because normal earthquakes don't make doors swing open. They make buildings fall down. (laughs) Normal earthquakes don't make bonds fall off. They make people get crushed and die. This is not a normal earthquake. This is a supernatural intervention by God. Listen to this. I love this. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And why wouldn't they? I'll be honest, if I'm Paul in that moment, I've been praying, I've been singing, earthquake happens, door opens, bonds off, I'm gone. Like, that's my miracle. Anybody else? I just got the miracle I was asking for, right? I'm free, I am gone. I'm not sticking around any amount of time to see what happens. I am free, that's my miracle. But again, God is always up to something bigger and better and greater than we are. Here's the the deal. We as humans are obsessed with self-preservation. We're obsessed with self-comfort. We're obsessed with taking care of ourselves. It's innate to our being to look out for number one, which is me. Right? It's so wired, hardwired into who we are. It's, it's self-defense, self-preservation. I'm taking care of myself. Therefore, the minute that door opens, I am gone. But again, Beatitudes. How do we as followers of Christ show up relationally in the world? Our lives are just so not about us. Our lives are just so now not about our comfort or our ability to have a nice, comfortable life. They are about our ability to follow Jesus into the hardest of places and watch as he works miraculous salvation in everybody and everyone that we come into contact with. Look what happens. I love this. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Think about that. Paul stayed in the destruction. He stayed in the ruin. He stayed in the rubble because he knew God's end game was different than his own end game. He knew God was up to something bigger and better than his own freedom. Right? So he stayed. I just happen to believe you guys, man, as, as you guys mature and grow and go out into the world and serve, I think the world needs more followers of Christ who are willing to show up in the rubble, who are willing to stay in destruction. That's why I love Jeremiah 29 so much. Yeah, of course God has a plan for your life. Of course God wants to prosper you. Let's back that train up though, right? Because what, what Jeremiah says before that is like, look, you're in captivity and plan to stay there. Later on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come get you. I'm going to come rescue you. But for now, build a house, plant a garden, and plan to stay. It's not about escaping. It's about seeking the good of the city I've called you to. So we're in downtown Minneapolis as a campus, man. You know, ground zero for a lot of stuff this summer. 
Big Floyd was killed a few blocks away from us. Regardless of how you feel about that, it's true that it happened. Set off a whole lot of other stuff with, with some riots and some peaceful protests and everything in between, right? Everything in between. And for, for a season, our city in Minneapolis was literally rubble, right? And I saw people talking about, I'm leaving Minneapolis. I'm going somewhere else. I, I'm not, I don't feel safe here. I'm like, man, there has never been a better time to be a Christian than in the year 2020. There's never been a better place to be a follower of God than in Minneapolis this year. There has never been a more, a better, more, better, man, I'm getting excited here. There's never been a better place to be a follower of God. There's never been a better time to be salt and light than this year. Than in the current political climate, than in the, than the current racial climate in our, in our city, in our country. There's never been a better time to be a follower of God. There's never been a better time. Paul stays in the rubble. And look what it says. I love this. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought him out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Think about that. Paul didn't say one thing to him. I, 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 I bet you my house that that jailer was one of those who was listening in when Paul and Silas were singing. How did, he, how did he know how to ask that question? Sirs, what do I got to do to be saved? I want what you want. Clearly there's something salty and something light about you that I don't have. What do I got to do to get that? What do I got to do? The world around you, if you live your life based on how God wants you to live, will literally be magnetized to your life. Literally, it says in the Bible, talks about living such good lives among those who don't believe in God that they have no choice but to look at your life and glorify God in heaven. It's amazing. The way that we show up in the world is so incredibly important. So look what it says. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night. This is the jailer. He washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house, and he gave him food. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Think about this. The very person who was set to guard them in their captivity is now setting them free, feeding them, tending to their wounds, and they baptized him, he and his entire family. What if the very reason the Spirit of God showed up to Paul and said, hey, come to Macedonia, was because of that jailer and his family. What if the very reason Paul was called to Philippi was to go through something exceedingly difficult so that God could reach this one jailer and his precious family? Like, what if? Like, would that be enough? I think we live in the day of more and bigger and better, and everybody wants to lead the big church or lead the big small group or do the big thing, the public thing. And what if God's call on your life is small simple and hard. Like, what if? What if it's just, hey, go home for Thanksgiving and be meek. Go home for Thanksgiving and just serve the uncle that you can't stand. Like, go, go, walk on the campus this day and be a peacemaker, right? Bring people together. I'm not going to be that person who refuses to let the current political climate in our country trickle down into the spiritual climate on your campus, 
Be the person who's willing to be a peacemaker, to be meek, to be merciful, to be pure in heart enough to bring people together, to listen, right, and to facilitate dialogue and to love each other, to be close enough with people who are different than you to seek understanding before you ever seek to be understood. What if? What if for you the call is as simple as going and pastoring a church of 50 people and living with them and doing their funerals and baptizing their babies and walking with them and watching a rural town be transformed. What if God calls us to hard things? He calls us to difficult things. He calls us sometimes to be persecuted unfairly and unjustly. And he doesn't call us to give critique. He doesn't call us to grumble. Now he does call us to vote he does call us to be educated, to exercise wisdom, to be aware of issues. I'm not saying that politics don't matter. What I am saying is the way that we show up is actually more important. The way that we relate, the way that we love, the way that we mourn, the way that we grieve, the way that we have purify our hearts, right? The way that we exercise meekness in this world, the way that we hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, it matters. So I want to bless you today with just walking out of this place, not with a life-changing chapel, but just with something to think about. What if as you walked out, you said, how today do I show up on this campus? How today can I show up in such a way where I'm a peacemaker, where I am a unity bringer, where I love, where people that are around me don't know how important I am, but they know how important they are because they're around me. What if I show up in the world on this campus in a way today that lets people know, hey, I hear you. I don't understand you, but I hear you. I actually think I might disagree, but I love you and I validate you as a human and I validate your human experience and I love you. Let's talk together. Let's listen well. What if today you showed up in such a way where, man, as you read these Beatitudes, they're so convicting, but it's also a vision of what life could look like. We're there but not yet. The kingdom of God is coming. We serve a better kingdom. We serve a better king. Let's act like it, friends. Let's be citizens, not of Democratic or Republican. Let's be citizens of heaven. Let's work together to watch God transform this world. And I'm telling you, it starts in your dorm room. It starts in your classroom. It starts in your relationship. It starts on campus today. Let today be the day you walk, wake up and say, I'm going to show up today in, in proximity to people that I disagree with, that I don't necessarily even like, but I'm going to listen, I'm going to mourn, I'm going to purify my heart, and I'm going to be willing to listen and be wrong for the sake of unity and gospel advancement. Amen? God, I thank you so much that you're here, that you're with us, that you're for us. And God, thank you that your kingdom supersedes ours, that your love supersedes ours, that your kingdom supersedes our politics and our opinions and our emotions and our feelings. You are a better king. So in these moments, we choose to follow you and you alone. Would you make us look more like your son, Jesus, in these moments we share together? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you all. Have an awesome day. Let's go and be salt and light. Amen. Amen.